I'm Tierney Smith and this is the Tree Podcast, conversations about communicating climate change. This time we're talking about how to communicate around the UK's EU referendum and its implications for climate and energy. In under a month, UK citizens will head to the polls to decide if they want to remain part of the European Union. European laws and directives impact the governance of land, oceans and the atmosphere, as well as energy security. And with a lengthy process to fully extricate itself from the Union, James Thornton, CEO of Client Earth, warns that the UK could be left in a vulnerable position on climate and energy. Last week, uh, Christine Lagarde, the, uh, the head of the IMF, had an interesting comment about Brexit. And she said that uh, the IMF had done its homework, and they were looking at the economy, of course. But the IMF had done its homework, and from the, their point of view, Brexit would either be bad or very, very bad. And that's how I see it for the environment. The the problem we get into if we vote for Brexit, and this affects the environmental legislation very much, is that uh, there is a procedure you know, in the Treaty on the European Union that governs what we do. So what we would do would be we would send a letter to the Commission uh, saying we've decided to leave. And then that starts a two-year clock ticking. And during that two years, uh, you have to negotiate how you leave. You can't leave as you want. Um, that's not up to you once you decide to leave. You have to get to a point of agreement with all 27 other countries to agree on the terms of your leaving. Now, that may be difficult because we might considerably annoy somebody um, by leaving, and uh, many people have already said that in positions of power in various countries. So any country could run out the clock on that two years simply by refusing to agree terms that the UK might want. If that happened, then the UK has no legal relationship with uh, with the rest of the EU, and it would have to renegotiate all of its trade treaties. It would lose the right to trade in the EU's currency, the euro, in the city of London. And if it left in that way with no relationship, then none of the environmental laws would bind uh, the UK anymore that are part of the European legal system. If we enter into this uh, two-year negotiation with a government that clearly doesn't like environmental laws and doesn't want to uh, comply with them or enforce them, then they will take the the chaos of those two years of negotiation as a wonderful excuse not to comply with any of the laws. And there'll be so much confusion about what law will eventually comply that even if you go to court to enforce the laws, it's going to be much harder than now to convince judges that they should hold the country to European standards. So I think what you may see is a falling away quite quickly of environmental compliance so that the the air quality law, the water quality law, toxics, um, the habitats directive, the birds directive, common fisheries policy, all of these things would be uh, in question and they could be repealed by the parliament. I'm also joined by Bryn Cooley, campaigner and communications coordinator at E3G, who says that when it comes to environmental and climate concerns, the UK is stronger in the EU than outside of it. The UK is fantastically greener uh, inside Europe, and Europe is most definitely greener with the UK inside it. So a couple of big reports that are, that are good to quote on this if you're talking to environmentalist friends or if you're having those sorts of conversations. Um, one is the Institute for European Environmental Policy. They looked at um, environmental quality, nature protection, uh, climate policy, agricultural policy, and fishing policy. This was one of the first big reports that came out to really 
looked deeply into what Brexit might mean from an environmental perspective. And they found that departure, um, uh, UK departure from Europe would leave the British environment in a more vulnerable and uncertain position. I was at the, the launch of this report and something really, really interesting was said, which was that Europe really provides kind of a policy baseline um, that countries can't dip underneath, but they can exceed if they, win, if they want to in, in, most, in most regards. So, for instance, on climate change, the UK does fairly well or has done fairly well in the past with the Climate Change Act and other things, um, but it can't, for instance, do really badly on air quality or it gets fined, as we're seeing in London at the moment. Another good report to look at is um, the Environmental Audit Committee report, um, which looked at how the EU has helped uh, keep beaches cleaner, has helped me, we've had uh, more efficient vehicles, reduced air pollution, which has been big in the news recently. So there's lots and lots of, of good arguments in there. Um, and also that, that Europe is greener with the UK inside of it. We have quite an advanced uh, climate change conversation in the UK. Um, we have the Climate Change Act, which is really great for holding um, our current government to account, but also means that we, because we've taken a reasonably progressive stance on some of this stuff in the future, and mix that with the fact that we've got one of the largest foreign offices in the world, means that we can really kind of bring lots of this pressure to bear on, on EU targets and encourage other countries to, to go further. Uh, another good one to, to point out, especially from a British pride perspective, because I think that we occasionally lose the patriotic argument to the leave side, is that it was a British diplomat who helped lead the European trading bloc during Paris, which helped secure the, uh, the agreement that we got. Um, as we saw in Paris, it's only when we work together to build high trust relationships that we can really win on climate. James agrees. These environmental problems uh, that we deal with, particularly climate change, fisheries, air quality, but all of them are uh, very much international problems. The, the UK has played um, uh, quite a constructive role, and uh, even though we've had to sue them on uh, air, air pollution, as compared to many other EU countries, the UK in the EU has been uh, complying with uh, other laws better than, say, um, Italy, Greece, um, Spain. I'll give you another example, which is the common fisheries policy. And, uh, the UK played an incredibly constructive role in that. And Richard Pennion, the Tory uh, minister uh, for fisheries at that point, was one of the lead people in order to make good things happen. And we did get a common fisheries policy that was much improved. And on climate change, we have had a leadership role in that um, the, uh, the Climate Change Act is uh, something of a, of a global model. So that all comes uh, by being partners. And uh, the UK has been good partners on the environment, uh, by and large, uh, over the last, uh, well, 25 years. Having played such a leadership role on environmental issues, both within Europe and globally, with its world-renowned Climate Change Act, many argue that the UK could become more ambitious, not less, outside of the European Union. However, James says that the current government has done little to give voters the faith that this will be the case. In the Climate Change Act, uh, that's one of the very few uh, legal uh, inventions uh, in which the UK is ahead of uh, the rest of Europe and much of the world. Um, and that's great. But the tendency for since this government has been in power is not to increase environmental protection, but very much to, to roll it back. So um, if we left with no connection, then none of the European legislation would um, would continue to apply. 
if we did succeed in negotiating terms in which we stayed in the free trade zone, that's kind of a halfway measure, that puts you in the same status as Iceland, Norway, and Switzerland. And if you were in that category, what would happen is that the um, the so-called environmental laws still would apply. So the air quality law, water quality law, toxics, for example. But the nature protection laws, like the Habitats Directive, Birds Directive, and Common Fisheries Policy, would no longer apply. So if you're in all the way, as we are now, you have this very good body of law protecting the environment. If you leave halfway but stay in the free trade zone, you leave all the nature protection behind. And if you really leave, uh, then you know your your parliament is able to repeal um, all environmental law. So the and that makes one nervous because, as I say, the direction of travel with this government has not been towards strengthening laws but towards weakening them. For example, um, we've had to sue the UK in uh, the UK court system, and we've beat it now in the Supreme Court over air pollution because there are 40,000 people a year who die of air pollution in the UK. The government isn't enforcing the law and is so far refusing to uh, comply with the Supreme Court's injunction. So the idea that this is a government that if it leaves entirely, will bring in a whole set of new laws uh, just seems uh, very counterfactual to me. Now we've heard what the potential implications of the EU referendum could be, what are some of the key messages to use when talking to voters? Stats at the moment suggest that if we have 40% uh, turnout, so 40% of the people who can vote go out to vote, it's quite likely that we'll end up leaving. Whereas if 60% of the people who can vote go out to vote, it's almost certain that we will remain. So the, the big thing here isn't about persuading one way or another as much as it's trying to encourage people to turn out. The most important thing is, is to start that conversation, be it in the pub, be it at the dinner table, on your Facebook wall, I don't know, in a, in a WhatsApp group. Like wherever it is that you've got a voice, it's, it's really good to kind of just start this conversation and to start it on, on whoever it is you're speaking to's terms. Um, kind of ask how people lean, ask uh, what their concerns are, and kind of just get that conversation going. And then, yeah, talk about some some of the environmental perspectives, of which there are quite a few key messages, but a few that kind of stick out to me. Um, One, if you're speaking to environmental people, you can just say, like, people like you agree. Environmentalists um, genuinely, almost all of them, believe that we are much, much better off uh, inside Europe. Um, and you can also point to, to the counter-argument there where a lot of the people who are campaigning to leave are also climate skeptics. Uh, Nigel Lawson, Matt Ridley, uh, lots of the kind of big, loud uh, climate skeptic voices are now campaigning to leave the EU. Um, but also, as, as James was just saying, it's, this is an international problem. You can't build walls against the weather. We can we can try and lift the drawbridge to to prevent migration or or, or whatever else it is. But but uh, climate change is something we have to do from uh, from an international perspective. We need cooperation. We can't fight climate change on our own. Um, and so being together and not being fragmented is inherently really useful to that process. And then also, I guess people can make a bit of a personal appeal, uh, especially if you're already campaigning on uh, on the environment. You can just point out that if we do end up leaving, we environmentalists will literally spend the next 10 years fighting to get back to the place that we are right now. We're very hard to 
um, to hold the government uh, to the standards we have now. If they come to the point where they can, Parliament can roll back the standards, um, I'm not sure even 10 years of fighting is going to get us the level of standards uh, we've got now across the board. One of the things I find in talking to people about Brexit is that it's helpful to actually honestly admit that I don't love Europe in every way. <laughs> um, you know, uh, the, one of the problems that we have in convincing people not to vote for Brexit is that um, the, that Europe uh, makes itself very unlovable. Uh, the Commission is very uh, opaque. It, it has laws on being uh, transparent uh, and giving information to citizens, but it uh, about three quarters of the time refuses to do so when you ask. One of the difficulties we face is that voters are very reasonably angry uh, at uh, elites and Europe is nothing if not an undemocratic uh, elite. So what I find is that being honest about my dissatisfaction with Europe in the many ways in which I am um, is is persuasive to people, is helpful, because then it's pos possible to say, but look, the one thing that Europe has actually been extremely good on, amazingly good on, is passing good and strong laws on the environment. So it's, um, it's much better to... Uh, keep those protections in place, and then work on these other things, which are things that can be improved. You know, democracy can be increased. Stakeholders just need to be given uh, more power than they have now uh, in Europe and America and everywhere. But that's something that can be done by activists and activism. That's that's a great long-term project. And I would keep the environmental protections and stay in the game because if you leave the table, you have no power anymore and no one will ever listen. Uh, another interesting comment that I've held on to for the last few weeks was the one made by David Miliband, uh, who said that no people in peacetime has ever contemplated giving up as much political power as the UK has by thinking about Brexit. And on that note, we'll wrap up this podcast. A big thanks to our two speakers, James Thornton and Bryn Cooley, and to Joe Uline and the Uliners for letting us sample some of their music. For more information and resources on communicating on climate change, please visit treealerts.org and join our network.